take a walk with us down memory lane, or maybe help spark a conversation with a loved one about the way farms used to sound. With your Amazon device or Alexa app, say, Alexa, play country farm sounds and escape to a mid-1900s farm where they will take a walk during morning chores. Hello and welcome inside the MTOM show studios at Iowa PBS. I'm Paul Yeager. Glad to have you here. We are having a repeat visitor, an author and farmer, former reporter, can't shake the reporter bug. Beth Hoffman is back with us. Last year we talked to her about her book, Bet the Farm. She moved from the coast. She lived all over this country, moved to her husband's farm. In southern Iowa, Monroe County, Iowa, we're going to talk a lot about that area and farming and being a good neighbor, some ideas, going to kind of discuss some things. But she's been talking to a lot of classes. We're going to find out what's the biggest subject she's asked about uh, when she speaks, what type of classes, what are they asking her, what's the mind of the young farmer, the young writer, the young journalist, what, what's happening. So that's what Beth Hoffman and I are going to do as we discuss uh, also a pretty exciting thing that's happened to her uh, farm. And we'll also answer the question, are farmers entrepreneurs? If you have feedback for me or any uh, topic you want me to look at, hit me up with an email. It's paul.yeager, Y-E-A-G-E-R, at iowapbs.org. Now, let's get to Beth. Do people stop you and ask you to sign their book? <laughs> um, at book events. At book events? <laughs> yeah. How has the reception been since we last talked about the book? It's been really good. Yeah. It's been solidly. Uh, I've, I've gone to a lot of libraries throughout the state. That's really fun. College classes. Um, even across the country, some. And, uh, yeah, people are interested and feel like I did uh, I, I did it justice, which is really the most important part to me. And that would probably be, yeah, the biggest compliment? Mm -hmm. Yes. When you say college classes, what type of classes are you going to? I've talked at um, Iowa State classes. Uh, like, are, I mean, are, we, are these economics classes? Are these was, writing classes? Um, no, like uh, nutrition and ag kind of classes. I've talked in a few political science classes. Um, trying to remember what they, what those classes were. Yes, political science seems to be one that's interested in it. Are you surprised by those choices of classes? Well, I would love to speak at more ag classes. You would? Yeah, I would love to. Mm -hmm. Which type of ag classes? Anybody. You know, I, I, I tend to talk, obviously, at the more, like, sustainable ag classes, um, but I would, I, I've had a few like at Iowa State, um, like kids who are from families that grow commodities, they're interested in doing the same, but also are very interested in thinking about this in a broader sense. And, you know, I think the next generation is always looking for like, what is, what are the changes coming? What are other things to be thinking about? How can I do it different? Because I took away from your book that you are not necessarily wanting to upend agriculture. You want to upend our thinking that it is this bucolic, idealistic, it's perfect, everything works. It's hard work. It's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of hours. It's a lot of stress. 
Yeah, I think also, though, um, though it's one way. Like, it can only be done this one way, which is corn and beans, bigger, bigger, bigger. That's it. Yeah. And, uh, or let's add hogs into that mix, I guess, too. <laughs> but um, I think there's a lot of opportunity in this state for other types of ag. And there's more and more people who want fresh local food. And I think it's it's just it's an economic opportunity lost if we don't take advantage of that. You started working on all of this background and things for the book prior to COVID, correct? Uh, well, I had been reporting on you, agriculture. You've been reporting, for, but yeah. you, when did you actually move to Southern Iowa? 2019. Okay, yeah. so you moved yeah. pre-pandemic, yes. and then the seeds, like a good reporter, you're always thinking of, well, oh, that'd be an interesting story, or that would be a take. But what did, now that we have another year removed from the heart of COVID, mm. what did that do to upend our system, maybe short-term, that is still alive here in the longer-term removal from it? It's a very good question. <laughs> I wish I could say it's upended, but it, it certainly has not. Um, I think that people got much more accustomed to ordering things online, um, to trying to shop at farms that are more local. There was more of a key to thinking about nutrition and health. Maybe we all kind of, you know, got inspired at like I could, I could make my own bread and I could eat more healthy or something at home. Grow right? my own vegetables grow in my, my own, own garden. Vegetables. Yeah. And so now if I'm not going to grow them at, um, at my own house, but maybe I can get them somewhere nearby. I think people are, I think the online shopping is really the big change is that people are much more accustomed to dealing with those logistics where before mm -hmm. it seemed like a major hassle. Um, you know, now if, even if you go to Hy-Vee or something, there's all these people walking around doing the shopping for somebody else, which I don't want that personally. I don't yeah. want them to pick my tomatoes for me. But, um, but we're much, as a general in society, we're much more comfortable with that. Right. Plenty of people are, though. Yeah. Otherwise, these companies, these food companies wouldn't have that option when you go into the grocery store exactly. to have that sort of things. And I guess the reason I asked that question is, do you think that there was then an opportunity for us to think long-term? Because, I mean, it's obvious when we're in the heart of something to say, yes, I'll bake bread, I'll grow vegetables. But two years out, you're like, you know what? It, it, tomatoes are hard. Yeah. There's rot. There's mold. There's What do I do with chipmunks. all of them? What do I do with them all? I can't make that right. much salsa. Right. I mean, we've, we, we, we quickly went away from... We really want to do our own food. Is that? Did you find that to be true? I don't think it's super. No, because I think there's also a movement where people are thinking a lot more as this concept of food as medicine and mm. nutritional. Um, what do they call that? Um, like prescriptions, right? Where you could get a food box instead of going to get a, med a me medicine at your pharmacy, right? That's like those are things that are gaining momentum still. I think, um, where people are putting together nutrition, what I eat impacts my body. You think we're thinking more about that today? I do. You do. What has given you in your personal experiences then on your farm that is solidifying that viewpoint? People find, like, I'm amazed at how much energy I put into marketing, and yet all the people who call us who just Googled 
looking for fresh food, looking for grass-finished beef particularly, because there's a lot of evidence about the nutritional differences. Yeah. Um, and, and people just Googling. And so to me, that's like, and then telling us, oh, it's so hard to find somebody like you. Where that's arguable, because there are a lot of people doing what we do in the state. Um, you know, maybe our SEO is set up better so that they could find us. But, um, but I think that's the evidence that people are just sitting down to Google, how do I eat better? What do I eat? Where do I find that? So it's on their mind. Mm -hmm. And they're going out to find certain things. And they might say, I mean, what's your customer base from? Is it, do you have a miles from your location where they're, where they're at? People are driving. Like, we had somebody drive from, like, way west Iowa to go pick up the meat at the locker. Um, you know, yeah, people are calling from all over. And we'll, we'll organize to mm -hmm. meet people somewhere, you know, that kind of thing to deliver. But um, it, it's, a, it's mostly around Des Moines. Are you shipping anything? Not yet. Do you want to? I don't know. It's a good question. Because that kind of takes away the whole freshness, even if you're shipping it from, say, your location to Sioux Falls. But it's meat. It's all frozen, yeah. deep, deep freeze frozen. So even at the locker, you know, yeah. if you go pick it up, it's not like it's fresh. But I, I'm also terrible at mailing things. Mm. <laughs> so like the idea that I'd have to go to the <laughs> get things in the mail more often is scary. What are you, well, how are things on the farm this year? Things have been really good. Um, you know, it's always interesting because I, I write things about, oh, things are so hectic and stuff. And, and then people who have been following us the whole time will say, look at how much you just accomplished in five years, which is true. It's an amazing amount of stuff. So this year, I guess the noteworthy, some of the noteworthy things are we built, we had a barn, we can talk more about this, mm -hmm. but... We had a barn um, from the 1880s that was in northern Iowa, taken down, moved to us, put back up, insulated, is a two-bedroom um, barn house with a demonstration kitchen and an area for classes. So we're doing classes now, overnight stays. Um, we also very notably found someone to work with us um, who moved here from Colorado. So that was a big mm -hmm. part of the book. Um, we have another young man also who's been working with us pretty steadily. So that's been incredibly exciting is to have some ideas about a next generation and people who want to do their thing on our farm. Because that was part of the, the Bet yes. the Farm book initially was that transition. You wrote a lot of chapters about that farm transition. So do you feel that the transition, how's the transition going? Um, so this is, a, I don't know if I gave you this phrase when I was here. Maybe it developed after. But, you know, we do what we call regenerative agriculture. Mm -hmm. Lots of people using that term, but... Uh, that's arguable what other people are doing in terms of it. But for us, that regeneration of the land, of uh, the natural systems, it's also really interesting to think about that word in the middle is those generations are in there, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to have this generationally set up. It doesn't matter if John and I plant a thousand trees, walk away, you know, die, and then someone plows them over. So 
<coughs> excuse me. Um, so, yes, the next generation is something I'm completely obsessed about still. It's like that hasn't waned. It hasn't waned because to me, um, just you know, one of the popular ways of approaching that is to put it an easement onto the land and say this can only be food crops. Mm. This can only have this kind of agriculture on it or these kind of development. To me, that's still kicking the can down the road and just handing it off to our kids and grandkids and saying, you know, good luck finding someone to do this farming. <laughs> so I think it has to come. Ideally, I still would love it to be that the farm is an entity that is running itself and has lots of people involved and it's not just us making decisions. Frankly, a farm is no different than a business that goes through that's a family business family started business from one generation to the next by the time you get to that second one might still be able to embody because they can remember when i was told by mom and dad it's that third generation is where some wheels come off on a business and the farm i am assuming is in your experience you sound like you're afraid that could happen well John's a fifth generation, so the wheels have arguably come off and been put up back on and <laughs> are still rolling down the road, you know. We got through the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a very notable thing that happened, actually, is Leroy passed away last January, almost a year ago. So that, um, that has added a lot of complexity, actually, to the situation. Things were not as we had thought exactly. So there's, there's family things to deal with there. Um, I'm tiptoeing around the, mm-hmm. the, the discussion, obviously. But um, so that is a very notable um, part of it. And it just makes us think all the more about what exactly are we doing how much land exactly do we need? Um, what, what, which enterprises are making us money? What is not making us? You know, so hopefully, you know, th- these things will make it as a business tighter. And um, I would say, particularly over the last year, like the entrepreneurial skills. Like, yes, it's a business; it's a family business, but neither of us had been entrepreneurs before and we're arguably now full-scale entrepreneurs in deep you know having to learn how to do QuickBooks and Mm -hmm. payroll and marketing and yeah e-commerce I'm gonna go back to the family thing just for a moment I know it's it's sensitive because it's sensitive in everybody's family which is I think the original reason that I wanted to talk to you was because I was intrigued by how you were trying to do this so if you could offer advice to any family or every family that may think that everything is sealed up or it is nowhere close what would be your advice yeah. We can go for an hour yes. if you want. Well, okay. So first <laughs> off, I mean, I think it's important to note that this existing uh, farm bill has money in it for family mediation for farm for land transfer. Um, so there's actually help that you can get, professional help outside of my advice. <laughs> um, 
And you're talking about the bill that they're arguing about now no, or the one that that's is in place? in place okay. that's been extended. Extended for another um, I'm not sure, you know, how that works about if the money's used or if there's money there, whatever. But for us, it was the beginning farmer center that helped mm-hmm. us, Dave Baker. Um, you know, so I would say outside mediation is a really helpful part because they're bringing up the topics nobody wants to talk about. And... Um, you know, culturally, that was a very different thing always for me here, right? I'm, I'm, I'm from the New York area. We talk about things, right? <laughs> we talk too much about things. So, um, you know, John was – they just don't talk about things as much. And even as we were getting deeper and deeper and putting more and more capital in – I was saying, you know, could you tech check with your dad? Like, is the will going to be the same? Are we making improvements to land that we're not going to own? Um, and they were conversations that never really fully happened, you know. And um, there was a lot of elements to it that just kind of in the last the year, the last year of his life got changed. Um, that nobody really knew. So I guess my mm-hmm. advice would be to have those conversations. Even if they're hard, you, you kind of have to. But it's hard if you have many siblings, mm-hmm. if you live in different places, right? You're getting together once a year for Christmas or something, right? Are you going to have that conversation then? Probably not. And, it, and different places of their lives, too. Correct. Not just physically, but emotionally. Of Oh, I'm still going through graduate school. I'm going through a divorce. Right. I'm going through, well, I'm with somebody that I don't want to be included in our family. Oh, good, because right. I don't want them in there. Right. And, you, and you're having to deal with those things. Yes. So when you're ever asked to talk about in classes, do people want to talk to you about that side of things? Yeah, I think they're probably a little too young in classes to be super keyed in to like how messy this really gets you know in your 20s maybe you're a little uh starry-eyed about how it's all gonna go um but i think that it it, it's they've also seen it you know maybe their parents Mm -hmm. they saw it happen and with their grandparents or something like that so i don't i i think it's something that i mean the other element that i'll add to this is just that you know, we, we get these kind of nostalgic connections to the land as mm-hmm. if the land is the thing, right? And I think that, um, especially like Neil Hamilton has talked about this a lot, right? Like, ha- get your little get your little five-acre piece, put up your cabin, have those nostalgic feelings about it, go visit, and maybe free up the land mm-hmm. for new landowners, Um and hopefully people that are going to be on the land. I mean, that one of the questions that I get asked all the time is, what do the neighbors think? Mm. Right? What do the neighbors think about your farming practices? Do they think you're crazy? So I started asking them. And really what, the, what my neighbors have to say, they're all commodity farmers. They say, you know, you're here. You're good neighbors. That's what we care about. We could care less about how you farm, and if you do things differently, good for you. What we care about is having good neighbors that are human beings that are living here and caring about this place. And 
it's so important that this whole idea of holding on to the land and living in Chicago mm. and renting it out and you don't, you know, just let it go. Like let somebody who wants to be here be here. So that's part of my advice. And that's why there are good neighbor awards because you have to have good neighbors uh, and the ones that are around in the neighborhood. And it gets back to a discussion that often is had about rural America of who is living there, because you and especially if the money is leaving and going to Chicago. It's not staying around. You're living there. And you are seeing and caring what goes on in the school board and the county supervisors. And the, you know what happens on your gravel road and the paved road. and the, You know all those things and therefore invested in them. Yes. And that's why it's important. So, yes, Neil Hamilton has sat in that chair and said, why are you holding that land? And that's hard for some people. But they do look at it as an investment. I just saw this morning before we rolled... Uh, another piece of land in a state that in an area that doesn't normally garner this high of a price is over $18,000 an acre. It is incredibly hard financially for someone to get in to do anything, let alone traditional agriculture or non-traditional agriculture at that price. Yes. There's not, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. No. And I I mean, you know, wait a minute. It's probably not going to last forever. Can't, I mean, it's just the way that life goes. It goes up, it goes mm-hmm. down, you know. I hope. Um, I think, you know, because other asset classes have been, you know, it, it's more volatile mm-hmm. than land. People start stuffing it in land. Um, I think there's a whole lot of misdirected anxiety about the Chinese and the Brazilian, you know, whoever's buying up the land. No, it's... It's the Bill Gates's. It's the Mormon Church. It's that you know Nebraska. There was a, just an article about that that the Mormon Church has bought up three hundred fifty thousand acres or something in Nebraska. I mean, it's it. There's stockpiling of land. So, you know, I, I think though at the same time, most of the land, from what I understand, is sold to your neighbor. It's not necessarily sold. It hadn't been, mm-hmm. at least until the past couple of years, sold at auction. You know, let's maybe we go back to that system, asking around what, what are, which kids in the area want to be here. I've told this story before in just a couple of past episodes of this podcast. Is the there was a land there, the piece of land that goes right up next to what my mom still owns, and she goes, "Well, we knew this was coming," and I said, "Well, mommy should buy it. Why?" said, well, you know, she's north of 80. She's not going to buy it. But she said the three, I told her, because I found out who the three buyers were in the end, and they were all within five to six miles of where that land was owned. So that was Great. that was considered, I think, a good thing. You know, the guy who ended up getting it is just down the road. So there you go. That, that, that would work. But I know that's not the case everywhere. In Buchanan County, again, same county where I'm at. They too are one of those counties that the Mormons are buying a lot of land, and that was that was of news to me that I didn't realize that specific group was happening. We have a lot of Amish on the north side, and and she told me, and I think there's some Amish somewhat close to to some of your area, that their business is booming. Their type of agriculture is booming. I will never get an Amish person in here to record uh, with cameras and things like that, but that I just have to go off anecdotes. Are you finding the same thing in um, in your area? I don't know about the business booming. I I know people like could the Kelowna mm-hmm. super food is that what that's? I think that's what they're. Yeah. Um, Sam, I could get you his name anyway. <laughs> so I think they you know sell. They could speak to that. I think, um, but I think 
you know, they have a type of agriculture that, yes, people would look at that and say, oh, that's old timey and I'm not going to plow with horses or whatever. But the point of probably why they are making so much money is the lack of inputs, right? You just don't have the kinds of costs that of huge combines and, and inputs. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, period, the end. That's why you end up with more cash in your pocket, even if your yields are lower. You didn't spend as much money on the front end. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's an excellent point. The The horse is cheaper than the that ridiculous size piece of, you know, iron that right. goes in there. Yeah. Uh, okay. So biggest question you said, you had one big question. Uh, what's another question you get asked uh, when you're speaking? Hmm. Is there one, is there a question you like or you want to, you want students to ask you more? No. <laughs> you're you're good. Uh, you've been writing still. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, I, I call it a Substack. Is that one of the th outlets you're using right now? Yes. Yeah, so Substack is sort of the brand name of the blog mm -hmm. owner format. Yeah. So I write with the Iowa Writers Collaborative. Um, I'm one of the writers on that. So I write. I write a variety of things. I mean, I just wrote um, an article about. Well, and this is an interesting topic we could talk about if you want. But, um, you know, we were, there was a new company that was happening, um, still is kind of there, but not ha having a hard time, that was focused on Iowa grass-finished, pasture-raised animals, no chemicals. And so that was a great wholesale option for us because we're taking all the time and energy <laughs> to raise them in this specific way. And people want that specific product, and so it was a great outlet. Um, so they're having the kind of problem that most of these companies have, that a big funder, Silicon Valley type, came in, was all excited, and then, oh, there's not return investment in a year, I'm out. And then we're all kind of left like, wait, we, we actually need investment that is long-term. Mm -hmm. If you're going to change a system, or change part of a system, right, you need it to be probably longer than a year. So um, that's been very difficult to deal with. And we ended up finding a different um, wholesale option, meaning many cattle went at once, um, to someone who runs a company in Utah and has a specific, you know, grass-finished kind of thing. Um, but the animals had to travel and, and then you get into all of these issues that lots of cattle people deal with is like, when do you get paid for them? Who's got ownership of these animals in this interim between them leaving my farm mm -hmm. and, and slaughter? And it turns out, oh, that's on the farmer too, right? So <laughs> surprise, <laughs> we get to shoulder that in case something goes wrong, right? Mm -hmm. So um, so I've been writing about things like that. I've also been doing a series that as I've been calling farm meditations that are just kind of using experiences on the farm to think about life in different ways. So not really for farmers or people on farm, but just reflecting. There's plenty of people who like to reflect around the farm. It's just yes. not the traditional way we think of, yes. of the farmer. Do you think, uh, has your view of who a typical farmer is, has changed? In yeah. the last year? Yeah. I mean, 
there's certainly a lot more women out there than get credit for it. I was just having lunch with someone who was talking about how, you know, the farm had been handed down man to man to Mm -hmm. man. And then, you know, his parents got divorced and his mom got half of the farm. And he said, but she had worked her tail off. You know, she was the one who was arguably doing more on the farm than the man. Um, but is she considered a farmer? No, she's considered a farmer's wife, mm-hmm. right? And so the farmer is the one who, I don't know, drives the biggest machinery. That's the person who's, you know, so I, I and I, it also brings up this really fascinating discussion about who is a farmer, where I see so many farmers kind of pitted at each other about, mm-hmm. are you a real farmer? No, I'm not. And then people are like, oh, I'm just a hobby farmer. And well, what does that mean? And, you know, is it is the person with their hands in the dirt the farmer? Is the person driving the machinery a farmer? What, you know, do you have to have a certain amount of acreage, certain person kinds do, of crops? person doing all of the book work, of selling the, the work, grain, right. buying the inputs and all of that stuff, are they right. the ones? Right. Is the other person a laborer? Right. A manager? So I guess in, in your time of covering agriculture and then in – you're a farmer, Right. You, I'm can, a farmer. You, you have to consider yourself yeah. a farmer. I consider yeah. you a farmer, yeah. totally. Yeah. I considered myself a, a farmer. I wrote a piece of this when when I was left on the farm and I was there moving cattle from one paddock to the next, and they got out. That was the day I became a farmer. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And and it, and it never happens at an ideal time. No, it's never. It's it's what's it's, the ideal exactly, time? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, three in the afternoon. Right. No, I have to go to my second job at three right, in the right. afternoon. No, that doesn't work. Right. We're gone. We actually went somewhere. We're delivering yeah. meat to somebody in Council Bluffs. We had something. this beautiful time last summer. It was it was maybe it was like maybe six seven at night, and a neighbor kid drove up, and he said, uh, "Somebody called. There's some bulls out." And I was like. Bulls, the bulls are. <laughs> he said, "Yeah, one of them's white." And I was like, "Oh no!" And they were out like a mile from the house, in a in a creek bed, surrounded by poison ivy. You know, yeah, it was just a. It was oh. talk about not opportune. You know, did. Were you able, I guess I've never even, I, I know what happens, but I mean, is there any long-term implication to a an animal that ends up with poison ivy? No, but my husband, oh, okay. you know, we're all I like see. in the John poison was... ivy and he is, John is crazy allergic to it and okay. running through and you could just hear swears and, yeah. you know. That makes you a farmer too. That he's a farmer for sure. <laughs> yeah, because then we a, had to like go down the road and block off all the places they could get you know yeah. off the road that aren't fenced. It was a it was a bit of a you know, and it was dark by the time we got back. You also said earlier that you don't cons- you didn't at one point consider yourself an entrepreneur. Do you mm. think that all farmers are entrepreneurs? That's a good question. I mean, I guess if you, I guess probably all people are I couldn't really speak to the experience of row cropping and commodity sales because you're kind of that's a kind of it's a small business too Mm -hmm. where you're putting you know getting your seeds and setting things up and then having to get it to market um but it's just the the amount of that sort of work for anyone doing anything 
outside of that norm in Iowa. You know, there's just an excessive amount of details to deal with. But I think anybody who's trying to find nooks and crannies to make nickels and dimes, yes. that to me is an entrepreneurial yes. spirit because you, you're, the traditional way isn't working. Yes. So to me, I, I think of it that way. So I, I think you can add that to the the resume too. Yeah. Well, and I think everybody's doing that. I mean, I think that's part of that kind of question of what do your neighbors think? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think at this point, nobody thinks that, you know, just commodity, like you've just got to do it in this way and you're going to, or otherwise you're crazy. No, I think everybody's always trying something different and seeing what you can do to make a nickel and dime. But I think there are, go back to the neighbors. There are neighbors who will look at, not necessarily you, but the you in general of, what are they doing over there? Why aren't they able to just hand? No, because we figured out that this pencil's out for us, or we think it Mm -hmm. might, and we're going to try it. Yeah. And we have a little more passion to this Mm -hmm. to do it. Because do you think that all farmers have passion about their job? No, I mean, no job. Everybody has passion, right? They're I mean, supposed even to, right? Here, wouldn't they? Even at Iowa Public, Public Radio Television, right? There's probably people who are just doing their job. So there's always that. Yeah, but I, I suppose. Mean, yeah. But I think, I always think of they, the farmer loves what they do. They love, they, they, yes, there are some downsides of it because, yes, the cattle come out at 2 in the morning. The, the rain never falls. The rain never stops. Whatever it is. You yeah. have to have some type of uh, wherewithal to get through it. Otherwise, you're not going to last mentally, yes, there's no if doubt anything, about that. let alone yes. financially. There's no doubt about that. <clears throat> yeah. The barn and the, the residents, that, that, the, the moving this thing. So where in northern Iowa? Because to me, that's an entrepreneurial thing that you're doing. Also a little educational, too. It's called, it was Onslow, Iowa, okay. which I don't know where that is. Um, it was gotten through a, a company called Barn Savers, so they take down barns, and then you kind of have to have somebody who knows how to put it back up because it comes like Lincoln Logs in a you know on a semi with uh, tags B two, mm-hmm. and you got to know what B two goes to. Um, so then the guy who put the timber frames together, he came and then you have to stand them up with the crane and then, you know, attach the whole thing, which was a bit harrowing. There's a, it doesn't look harrowing on the video, but there's a video online I can send you. Um, and then basically if you want to have that barn on the interior, you have to build a barn around your barn. To have okay. insulation in between the two. Sure. So um, where we went from like, oh, this is might be cost effective to buy this old barn, then yeah, it wasn't very cost effective. It wasn't? <laughs> no. Oh. It was an enormous uh, kind of money pit, but it's beautiful. It's a really beautiful building. And I can stay there? Yes, we. you can stay there. Um, you know, our website is just iowa-farm.com. And so we're getting the e-commerce as we speak is being kind of figured out. Um, so we have to get that all set up. It'll be on Airbnb at some point. And then we are running classes. So I'm running, um, writing classes, 
Um, one of one of them being um, kind of writing and meditation, just having a quiet space for writing, um, going out on the farm, and then another one is uh, oh, when we're gonna have baby goats um, in the spring. And you've not had baby goats before? We we have. You have? Yes. So we, we kid in the spring. Okay. So, but there'll be a writing experience around that. Ah. And then John is teaching cooking classes. And we're having a Robbie Burns cooking event with a small party and also St. Patrick's Day. And he also teaches sausage making. And is he doing all of these in, like, in the house, backyard, or are some of these online, too? These will all be in that barn. Okay. So it has kind of a teaching kitchen in it. So in the sense of you are bettering your community. Yes. Because it, it could be easily just to treat this as a studio. Mm-hmm. And you record it, ship it somewhere, or stream it somewhere. But you are absolutely being good neighbors about trying to, uh, to, to better your community. Do you feel that way? I, I feel very much that way. It, especially because... If you think about, you know, where people, if, if you know, in Des Moines, you think about, okay, I want to have a nice experience in Iowa. Where am I going to go? You don't think Monroe County right now. And I, I don't know why, because mm-hmm. where we live is an extraordinarily beautiful place. And in this state, you know, com- people come all the time and they're like, this is Iowa. I mean, it's full of trees. It's rolling hills. Um, you know, of course, cattle and pasture land and goats. And, you know, it's just, it's a very idyllic, beautiful area. So I would love to see a lot more tourism to this, to, to the whole area, not just us. I think it could be the whole county should have more people coming. I guess make your pitch then. Why yeah. or how that happens? Because that's not the typical... I, I, that's not the area with the person with the or the an, the animal with two ears, or uh, there's no roller coaster there. I mean, that's a that's a tourism spot, not a farm in Monroe County, Iowa. City people love coming out to the farm. <laughs> I mean, don't you want to go to a farm yeah. and hang out? Yeah. Go walk around. I do, but yes. I can't always convince everybody else to come with me. Oh, well, they should come to our place then. And and what's a good experience? I mean, what oh, do you hope? Yeah. Who do you, who is a target then? Um, if 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 city people are reluctant, um, I I think well, I don't think city people are reluctant. I don't. I've lived in a lot of cities, and cities that are considered to have the best quality of life are places that have outdoor experiences nearby, or or right you know right nearby. We're an hour from the city. It's a great day out. Mm-hmm. Come out, do a hike, maybe cross-country ski if we ever have snow again, and then come in, ha- make sausage in a class, have dinner with a bunch of really interesting people you've never met before, and go back to the city. What if this farm was an hour outside of San Francisco? Who would be your target then? Oh, well, same. All We just have a lot more competition of cool farms to go. Because there are cool farms there yeah. like that? Yeah. Same thing. Put it in New York. I mean, upstate. Same. That's what you think that's how upstate yes. New York can. The whole Hudson Valley. Where do yeah. people want to farm? They want to farm in the Hudson Valley. They want to farm in Sonoma County, right? Because people have done this work to set up farms, to set up tourism, where it's a very active, vibrant place to be. 
And that's, I think, how you get next generations wanting Mm -hmm. to live there and do it because you already have something happening, you know. Nobody wants to go farm kind of nowhere and just be alone and struggling. I don't think that there's a lot of young people who want to do that. We're coming into the political season of sorts, and there's always this discussion about, well, how are we going to repopulate or put people back in on farms or in rural areas and maybe spread out some of this larger city concentration of people? How does Monroe County expand its population? Well, if I had all the answers, maybe I'd be running. <laughs> but... Um, I mean, I, I th- again, I think there's there's push factors where people are being pushed out of cities, right? I, I witnessed that myself, where it's just too expensive mm-hmm. to live, not enough housing, so on and so forth. But you've got to have pull factors into other places. So the places that people are leaving cities and going to have some kind of not only economy and jobs. I mm-hmm. think that's the wrong thinking is, is like, oh, manufacturing or something is going to pull people in by just just jobs. I think because this state compared to other places I've lived and I've lived in a lot of other places in this country, it has such a lack of outdoor recreational places to be that that is what Monroe County could provide. It could provide a nearby place where you can get to, you know, you can go there pretty quickly. Uh, Marion County is, Mm -hmm. you know, even closer. Um, But a nearby place to the city that has open space, that has recreational space. We, um, I would love to see kind of bike routes Mm -hmm. on gravel roads developed and that kind of stuff. It's all very possible in my mind. It's not like a lot of infrastructure has to be put in. And manufacturing to to get a plant to come to some town covers, we need water, we need electricity, we need a workforce, we need infrastructure. Right. Yeah, we need some of those things with turning to what you're pitching, but not all the same things. Yeah. And might get a better investment. Not as high input, if we want to tie it back to what we were talking about. Not as high input. And and a lot of those places are sold as like, oh, the tax, you know, Hmm. revenue. And then we give them a giant tax break. And it turns out they're not bringing any taxes in with this new plant, you know. So, you know, I think that um, it's a long, you got to go for the long game. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be an immediate thing. It's like the more you can have another little shop. You know, we, we have a main street. Uh, Chamber of Commerce designation. I think there's some funding that comes for the Main Street. I don't know what that's mm-hmm. what that entails, but um, you know, so there's there's money coming in to help those businesses on the square be setting up and an active Chamber of Commerce, and so you know, hopefully more restaurants and things to do. And I, I you know, again, I think it's not. You can't you can't look at it like you're gonna suddenly like tomorrow or next week or even next year gonna like pull in masses of people, but planting these seeds literally all mm. over the county could end up creating something like that. It's just like you were talking about with the the companies need to be in for more than a year, and yeah. the investment needs to happen, and maybe it will take the second, third, or fourth, or in John's case, fifth generation before. That's just the evolution of the way that farm has gone. Yes. Yeah. Uh, lastly, uh, 
Is there a sequel coming to the book? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I've become very interested in um, the concept of how, I don't even know how to actually talk about this fully, but um, the industry around feeding the hungry, quote unquote, and our lack of uh, raising the minimum wage or things like that, the lack of investment in that side and the focus of the money going in places that I don't fully mm. understand. So it yeah. feels like a very good investigative piece ah, to me. You just can't shake it. Can't no matter how much farm we've put yeah. you, surrounded you by, you can't shake that can't uh, shake reporter journal, brain still no. and all of the, the economic dive-ins that you might do. No, doesn't you look everywhere and think, where's, how is that funded, right? I have, <laughs> I have note cards. This is the thing. I have them. They're on my nightstand. In fact, they get stacked up. I just, I'll think of something and write it down all the time or the notes app. I, I yes, it is hard. You look at something and go, oh, that'd be a good conversation. Or, you know, and I was looking at your book the other day on my shelf here at work and I was like, I need to talk to Beth and I'm so glad you made time to, to come up so we could revisit again. And I, I wanted to follow up on my promise of having you back so we could continue the discussion and we'll we'll do this again as we continue to solve the world's problems i appreciate it it's really great thank you all right beth thank you so much thank you my thanks to beth and again you can find her website iowa-farm.com find out what they're up to read some of her writings and uh, maybe book a stay in the barn on the farm sound fun we hope you come back next tuesday with another new episode Or if you want to binge, tell a friend that you've watched or listened. We always appreciate those recommendations. Thank you, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.